0: That we end here, because we gain here, for it of us now. We end here, that we end here, because we gain here, for
1: it of us now. And you know, and we'll end here, because we end here. Life, 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 life.
2: That's
0: it. What's good, party people? It's Miss Lorraine, right here, with Black versus the Board of Education. And I'm so happy that we are back like we never left. And what that means is we're just going to get back into the swing of things because we've been missing y'all. I know you've been missing us. And so uh, before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and kick it to my co-host for the day to let them introduce themselves. And so I am going to start with Miss Jada. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, y'all. I'm back
3: again. My name is Jada. I am a,
4: actually, I just finished up
0: Okay, so I'm a homeschool junior in the Sacramento
4: area, and I'm so glad to be back. Perfect, Miss Janice. Hi, guys. I'm Janice. I'm a sophomore here in the Sacramento area, and it's nice
0: to see you guys again. Uh, Miss
5: Adia, say hey, hey, hey. Hey, everyone. My name's Adia. Sorry. Hi, everyone. My name's Adia, and I'm a junior in the Sacramento area.
0: Perfect, perfect. And we are, well, we actually have a new face in the building, uh, Mr. Jalen. Welcome to the party. Go ahead and introduce yourself.
6: Yeah, my name is Jalen, and uh, I am a junior in college in the Sacramento area.
0: Perfect, perfect. And I know Anaya went to go get some food. I don't see her on camera, so I'm not going to throw it to her because she might have a mouthful of stuff, but we have a special guest joining us today and I see he has popped in. So let's welcome former assembly member, former insurance commissioner, Mr. Dave Jones to the BVBOE party. Welcome, sir. Go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody else. Cause I know you, but everybody else might not know you. <laughs>
1: well, it's great to be with you. Can you hear me?
0: We can hear you just fine, sir.
1: Perfect. Well, Thank you for the opportunity to spend some time with the Black Youth Leadership Project. My name is Dave Jones, and I formerly served um, as California's insurance commissioner. I'm now a candidate for State Senate District 8, which is the area that encompasses all of Sacramento, North Highlands, Foothill Farms, Rio Linda, um, runs all the way down to Elk Grove. And I'm excited to spend some time with you this afternoon.
0: Awesome. So we know that you have an event to get to at 4.30. So we're going to jump right in. Um, and we know you just told us where you were going to be running from or to represent. But um, Janice came off of mute. So that normally in- indicates to me that she wants to start off with the first question. So come on, Janice, what you got?
4: Okay, so my first question to you would be, are there any laws that you desire to write up or put in place in your position, like anything that you have in mind that is really important to you?
1: Yes, Janice, that's a great question. So as I go door to door in the district, the number one issue I hear about from voters is homelessness. And sadly, uh, there are far too many people living on the streets in desperate conditions. So we've had a real failure of local leadership, a failure to build enough shelter, tiny homes, safe camping, uh, safe parking and other facilities for the homeless uh, and a failure to provide them with mental health treatment and substance disorder treatment and other assistance. So what I think the state can do is insist that cities and counties get about the business of providing shelter for people. And the state has been providing about $300 million over the past couple of years, but we still aren't seeing shelters being built. When I was on the city council back in um, 2000, 2001, I took it on myself to build what's now a 200-bed shelter in the southeast side of Sacramento, because I could see the tsunami wave of homelessness coming. And I felt like every one of us had to do our fair share. But sadly, Too many council members have not done that, and the city has fallen behind, the county's fallen behind, and we find ourselves in this terrible condition. The second is affordable housing. We have a desperate need for affordable housing. Uh, When I was on the city council, I wrote the ordinance that required 15% of all new developments to be affordable, 10% very low, 5% low. So we target that housing to those that are in the greatest need. Uh, A later council, including my opponent, uh, eliminated that ordinance, even though it had created thousands of units and substituted, instead of a requirement to build affordable housing, a fee that's too small to actually collect enough money to get affordable housing built. So I think that's another thing I can do at the state level is insist that cities and counties build more affordable housing. Um, And then I'm very, very concerned about um, the mental health issues that folks are facing uh, coming out of COVID. Um, And I'd like to see us expand mental health treatment, and the availability of that treatment across the board for for all Californians and for those in Sacramento as well.
0: Um, Mr. Jones, you mentioned that um, there was a lack of leadership. Um, And so I'm wondering what type of style can we expect from you should you be elected to the state Senate?
1: That's a great question. So my leadership style is to bring people together to try to get problem solved, uh, but not to um, be deterred uh, when there is um, resistance or opposition to doing what is necessary to help people. And so, for example, uh, I talked about the um, affordable housing ordinance that he authored when I was out at the city council. There was a lot of opposition to that. We built a broad-based coalition that represented the diversity of Sacramento uh, to get that through over the opposition of a lot of folks that didn't want affordable housing. Uh, and so too, when I developed that shelter that I described a moment ago, uh, we put together a broad-based coalition and worked with folks to make sure that uh, we were doing it in a way that would add value, not detract value from neighborhoods. So, uh, my leadership style is is collaborative, but also insistent. And so, um, sometimes there are those that stand in the way of reform. Um, you know, for example, I'm not taking any contributions from police organizations and That's because I've seen as a member of the state assembly and as an insurance commissioner, the extent to which police organizations have um, objected to and resisted and delayed uh, reform uh, with regard to oversight of of police. And so that's an example where, thanks to the leadership of of Dr. Shirley Weber and others, uh, the reforms there were finally enacted but there was a lot of opposition. So I think we need we need leadership that's collaborative, that's willing to work uh, collaboratively and put together broad-based coalitions, but leadership that's insistent about getting the right thing done.
0: And that's absolutely important. Uh, Jada, I heard that you had a question.
4: Yes, so I know that your uh, job would be to, uh, the State Senate would be to write laws. So I'm curious on what laws You know, if somebody had like, what laws would you put out to protect black people? Because I do see, you know, a lot of things automatically being solved for other people who are not black. And I want to know how you're going to focus on black people or have them making sure that they are a focus.
1: That's a great question. So I do approach decision making um, from a racial, social, gender, LGBTQ and and economic uh, justice and equity lens. Um, and I think equity is important because um, I recognize that many communities, including uh, the Black community, oftentimes starts at a very different starting place than others because of history's history of systemic discrimination and other disparate impacts of that of that discrimination. So one way to to apply that is to look across the body of laws and see which laws are disparately impacting African Americans in a negative way. And also look for opportunities to pass laws and take budget actions that provide for racial equity and justice for um, the black community. So police reform is one example. Um, I believe black lives matter. Uh, Black people have disproportionately suffered from police abuse. Um, I think we've got to continue to make steps with regard to police reform. There's been some good legislation that's been enacted, but we need to do more work in that area. Affordable housing is another, although the affordable housing is made available to everybody. um, Certainly you can find opportunities to build that affordable housing in black communities to help serve those communities um, and make sure that there's affordable housing available uh, to the community. Early child education and preschool. That's another area that I've spent a lot of time working on. All of the science indicates that um, getting kids uh, a Good start with early childhood education and preschool really makes a difference in their later performance in school and in life. And so, making sure that those programs are deployed in communities of color as well as in lower income communities, and the two aren't necessarily synonymous, we know, but making sure that those programs are available both in communities of color as well as in low income communities, I think, is a way to make sure that kids in all of our communities have the best possible opportunity to get a good start as they progress with their education. So those are some examples, great question.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned education, but before I ask you my question, I heard that Ms. Adia has a question for you.
5: Yeah, um, I was actually curious um, when you were talking about police reform, I just, um, from my standpoint, just kind of like, I guess my question is, what does police reform look like to you? Because I do think it looks different to a lot of different people. Like we've seen people put more funding in police in the name of like police reform. But there's also movements like in order like to defund the police. So I was just kind of curious what that looks like to you in terms of like legislation and moving forward.
1: That's a great question. Well, I, I don't support defunding the police. I do think we need police, but I also think we need alternatives to armed police to deal with situations um, that oftentimes occur with those that are mentally ill or those that are suffering from substance abuse. Um, well, right now we send an armed police officer out, and oftentimes that individual doesn't have the training to deal with the individual and bad things result. So I'd like to see us stand up um, community response teams that include um, professionals in the area of mental health and substance disorder that can be sent out when there's a situation that's nonviolent that involves an individual that's mentally ill or or having a substance abuse um, disorder uh, incident and so i see that as a complement to um, what we currently have i also think we need to make sure there's oversight and accountability for police misconduct and so i supported all of the bills that finally got through in the last couple of years that provided for more oversight of police and more accountability and prevent police from doing a bad thing in one jurisdiction and then just running to the next jurisdiction, for example. I also support the George Floyd Act at the federal level, uh, which is authored by my, my friend and former colleague, uh, Karen Bass, who's now Congresswoman running for LA um, mayor, but uh, with whom I served and, and voted for to be our first um, African-American female speaker when I served in the state assembly. And so the George Floyd Act had a whole other host of reforms. Unfortunately, that got bottled up at the, at the federal level. But I certainly support the reforms that are contained in that act as well. You know, it's, to me, it's um, stunning that it's taken so long, for example, for uh, the Sheriff's Department in, this, in Sacramento County finally to have um, uh, body cameras, right? That should have happened a long time ago. And there's still components of the Sheriff's Department that don't have body cameras that help us ensure accountability. Um, so those are the sorts of things that, and then, you know, just something as simple as having uh, the inspector general for the sheriff's department. So there was an inspector general for our sheriff's department. He was investigating um, a possibility of police misconduct associated with the shooting of a community member. Um, when he found that the deputy sheriffs had not acted appropriately, the current sheriff of Sacramento County locked him out of the sheriff's department and prevented him from doing his job. So. We need a state law that requires that there be inspector generals that are independent that can investigate sheriff's department. It simply can't be the case that sheriff's department, like the one here, can just say, hey, the heck with it. We're not going to be held accountable. We're not going to have any independent investigation of what we do. So those are some examples of the kinds of reforms that I support.
0: Awesome. Jalen.
6: So, yeah, my question is, so since COVID has happened, a lot of people uh, mental health has been coming into question, you know, like being isolated, being by yourself, you know, it changed the way a lot of kids, especially younger kids, they, uh, they act with their peers. So I was wondering, do you feel like uh, something like um, a mental health training for all teachers after post COVID will be something, you know, that will be uh, beneficial for students?
1: I think that's a great idea, Jalen. And I think too, um, We need to make sure that um, schools are funding uh, school psychologists and other mental health uh, providers in the school setting. And then beyond the school setting, we need to make sure that there are available resources for for young people. Um, One thing that is really exciting is the uh, state of California got some money from FEMA to stand up a peer counseling uh, mental health program across the state. Uh, where uh, peers, uh, not necessarily licensed individuals, but non-licensed and trained individuals could provide either face-to-face or on chat lines or Zoom lines, uh, counseling for individuals, including young people that were feeling uh, mental distress due to COVID. Um, that's a, a great program because it's actually operated by about 20 different community-based organizations that are receiving this FEMA funding. I'd like to see that become a regular part of what the state does and draw on community-based organizations to provide that peer counseling and also drawing young people and support young people's organizations where young people are trained. Like the black youth leadership project, for example, could be trained in peer counseling and offer peer counseling. Uh, That'd be the kind of thing I'd like to see where in addition to the schools and the teachers and the clinicians in the school, I think young people could also help one another with peer counseling too, once they've been, once they've been trained to do it. So No question, Um, a lot of people are suffering in various ways as a result of COVID coming out of COVID. So I'd like to see us put more resources into that whole area.
0: Thank you very much. So um, we have a comment in in the chat and it says, adding on to the point that Jalen made, how would you further support black students who have struggled with mental health issues even before the pandemic? Thank you, Melissa. She couldn't join us today, but that's one of our co-hosts. Hey, Melissa.
1: Well, that's a great question, Melissa. And I think, um, again, standing up programs um, in the elementary school, middle school, and high school context um, that are targeted towards uh, Black students, as well as other communities of color that are suffering uh, mental health issues as a result of trauma associated with um, systemic racism. And issues that, the, that these young people have faced in their own lives or in their own communities, I think, is something that is important. And COVID just added an extra layer of um, challenge and and damage, if you will, to to folks in the community that were already suffering from issues around mental health uh, even before before COVID came. And that includes, um, you know, kids that are suffering from the impact of adverse childhood experiences, um, maybe the trauma of parents divorcing or the trauma of a, of a, of a parent or guardian or loved one or family member um, having uh, a violent interaction with the police or any number of things so so I do think that standing up programs to help folks in the community and that also includes um, community-based programs outside the school setting and also includes peer-to-peer programs involving, individuals that have um, been incarcerated who are coming out of prison or coming out of jail or themselves uh, have had issues and, and here i don't mean to suggest that you know this is a problem across the whole community but um, i think there is some benefit also in supporting peer-to-peer programs or individuals that are that have unfortunately ended up being incarcerated or coming out where they can also talk to young people that might be in a circumstance where unfortunately they're Um, potentially interacting with or getting involved in um, uh, aspects that we wouldn't want them to. And so having peers uh, that that are from the community who have gone through um, the school-to-prison pipeline talk to young people and provide their expertise and their experience, I think, is a valuable thing, too.
0: Miss Anaya.
3: Hello. So my question is, why do you see yourself best fit for this position?
1: Well, that's a great question. They've all been great questions, by the way. Um, Well, I guess several things. One is uh, I have the most experience of any candidate in this race. So I've um, actually served in the legislature before. I've been a leader. I've chaired committees. So I know how to do the job. Uh, And I've been effective at it. I got over 70 bills enacted, including very important bills like establishing the largest early childhood education and preschool program. Another bill that saved our safety net hospitals from closure. And a third bill that stopped health insurers from discriminating against women in the pricing of health insurance. And a fourth bill that gave women who were suffering from long-time uh, wage discrimination the opportunity to have redress, even if they discovered the fact that they'd been discriminated against years after the statute of limitations expired, A bill that expanded that statute of limitations so they could recover for the entire period in which they had been discriminated, that's a partial list. So I've, I've done the job before, I've done it effectively before. I've also the only one in the race who's been a statewide elected official um, leading an important uh, consumer protection agency. And um, sorry, I need to plug in my computer. Um, and so I have, I have experience um, not just in Sacramento, but statewide and have an understanding of issues facing folks throughout the whole state. And have run a, um, a leading executive branch department and so have that experience and can bring that experience to bear i've also served at the federal level and at the local level so i think in terms of experience results um, there's a clear distinction i'm also uh, endorsed by the california democratic party because i'm a strong progressive i'm endorsed by nero pro-choice uh, california because of my uh, work uh, fighting for access to abortion and women's reproductive health care um, I have uh, numerous progressive uh, endorsements, uh, and I am the strong progressive in the race compared to the other candidates that are running as well. So those are, I think, the reasons why I'm the best candidate for for the job.
0: Ms. Janice.
4: That was good. And um, I have a question because um, you have stated a lot about making sure and making sure, and we are the Black Youth Leadership Project, and I know it's important to make sure, but I need to hear ideas, ideas of where what you plan to do, things that you have thought of, because it's not really about it's about everybody, but I feel like sometimes you need to focus on those who are often put to the back, back burner, including our Black people. So I want to know ideas that you have, things that you want to put in place for helping Black children, Black families, Black people, Black education. I want ideas. I don't want to hear making sure. I want things that you have thought about, things that you plan to do, things you have spoken to others about, people that you may be in communication with about, not just making sure, but things that you have actually thought about.
1: Well, that's a great question. And I can point to the things that I've actually done. Um, and I mentioned a moment ago, establishing early childhood education in preschool statewide. So disproportionate numbers of Black kids at that time didn't have access to early childhood education in preschool. So by establishing the largest such program in the state, it afforded preschool and early child education to Black kids across the state that previously didn't have access to it. Um, saving our safety net hospitals. So a disproportionate share of the Black community, unfortunately, gets its health care in the emergency room of hospitals. And a disproportionate share at that time were uninsured completely. So these safety net hospitals throughout the state were critically important to the Black community. They were closing. So I passed legislation that brought billions of dollars into those safety net hospitals to save them for the Black communities that they serve to make sure that they keep their doors open. As insurance commissioner, I implemented the Affordable Care Act. So we had at that point about 7 million Californians that were uninsured, a disproportionate share were black. And so by reducing the uninsured, by making health insurance available, that allowed us to insure a lot of um, black community members that previously didn't have insurance. And also by standing up a subsidy for that, it afforded the opportunity to insure even more. So I can point to a whole host of things that have had a direct beneficial impact um, that includes supple- uh, supporting criminal justice reforms that had a huge benefit uh, to um, the black community in terms of the mass incarceration of, of people of color as a result of the war on drugs. And so I supported the criminal justice reform measures that were designed to undo the harms of that. Um, and police reform, which is disproportionately as a result of police misconduct, fallen on the backs of black community members. So. My objective is to continue working along all of those different lines um, in very specific ways um, and working closely with the black community and identifying where the key issues are and what needs to be done. I'll share with you as well, when I was insurance commissioner, I I also care deeply about economic opportunity for the black community. And so insurance companies buy a lot of stuff from businesses. And so the question I asked was, to what extent are you buying from black owned businesses? And nobody knew. So I started a survey of insurance companies. I required them, all 1300 of them to report to me annually on the percentage, dollar value, number of contracts they had with black owned businesses and Latino owned and api owned, LGBTQ owned and gender owned. But just by asking that question and publishing the results and then ranking the companies, we were able to dramatically increase procurement from black and other diverse owned businesses. So that opens up economic opportunity for black owned businesses to sell things into markets that they previously didn't have because before the insurance companies weren't buying stuff from them. And then also opening opportunities for leadership in the private sector. So there too, I've been a big advocate for diversifying corporate boards. And so as insurance commissioner, I surveyed the insurance companies with regard to the diversity of their corporate boards. Guess what? It's abysmal. So by virtue of surveying, publishing, that pushed and prodded insurance companies to begin to diversify their corporate boards that work was drawn on by senator bradford to introduce legislation to mandate corporations to, divorce, to diversify their corporate boards so i it, i've got a body of work that i can point to in this area and my objective is to build on that work um, and certainly um, there's a lot more work that that needs to be done
0: And we had another comment. I don't know if you saw it when it flashed on the screen. It said, you said you're good at the job and have helped pass bills. What have you done to stay in touch with the community? And how will you continue to stay in touch and listen to the Black community needs?
1: Well, first of all, um, I'm here and I'm excited to be here to listen to you because obviously um, you have very thoughtful questions and a keen interest in who's going to represent you. And so I'm committed to continuing to engage uh, with the Black Youth Leadership Project and other uh, representatives of the of the community. Uh, you know what I've done historically is um, hire from the community, uh, promote people from the community, give them opportunities to develop in their professional growth, um, and also appoint community members to advisory committees, to commissions, uh, as well as hiring directly into my office. And I intend to do that. I also do outreach to leading organizations like the NAACP, the Urban League, and others. Um, and so I'll continue doing that. Uh, but I also recognize that there are other more community-based organizations here in the Sacramento region as well that are representative, and I'll be open to and communicate with and meet with uh, make myself available to those organizations as well.
0: And so if you have community members, like if, say, our students come up with some ideas for legislation are you open to them presenting ideas for bills to you Um, because not only will they be submitting ideas I'm going to submit a couple of ideas too because what you're running to represent we are the capital of suspensions I think you have if you haven't read that report I'd like to get it to you um, because you have Elk Grove who's number one in the state for disproportionate discipline of black children you have um, Sac City Unified who's number three and I'm sure there's some more in the top 15 that are in this area. So I think that there needs to be legislation to kind of curtail some of the exclusionary discipline practices that we're seeing uh, within our students and and within our campuses, um, not just here, but statewide. Um, Additionally, I think the other problem is um, some of these laws are so antiquated uh, that they have not been looked at. So I want to bring you a bill about the uh, Roberts Rules of Order and how districts are not supposed to um, amend the tape or the public record to fit their needs. So. Let me know, should you get in office? Let me know your first available appointment because I'm coming to see you. Um, That's good. Well, I, <laughs> you've got my
1: and you've got my cell phone number and my personal email address, and those won't change. So i so I'm looking I'm looking forward to the ideas of the of the young people on this call and, and your ideas as well. That would be wonderful.
0: And I think we have time for one more question. Anaya, you you hit me in the chat and you said you had one more question, so let's go ahead and um, give out that one more question.
3: Yes, so as we know, a lot of people lost jobs, their jobs due to the pandemic. So, my question was, what will you be doing to not only help those people get reemployed, but also ensure that they maintain the jobs and are able to financially support themselves?
1: That's a great question. So, um, women uh, and communities of color have been particularly hard hit by COVID. Um, women oftentimes are the primary caregivers within their households for kids and for adults. And so when adult daycare closed and when child care closed, a lot of women had to step back from the workforce. And that's been a real problem for them in terms of their own professional growth and development and also in terms of income for their families. So I'd like to see us expand subsidized child care and make it more available throughout the state and make it more affordable so that Women have a chance to enter back into the workforce, knowing that there's childcare there uh, that will um, be available to take care of their kids. Um, I think women also end up, oftentimes, as the caregiver for adults, so adult daycare programs as well are critically important to allow women to re-enter the the workforce too. So, I think more broadly, um, you know, certainly doing everything we can uh, to continue to build. Uh, an economy that has jobs in it that are available uh, to the largest number of people. You know, we're also going to have to go through a major economic transition associated with fighting climate change. And that means um, shifting from our dependence on fossil fuels to clean energy. I think those clean energy jobs uh, offer opportunities for the black community, communities of color, as well as others. Um, But we also have to recognize that we've got to, make sure we're also addressing the needs of people that are in the fossil fuel industry, which also, by the way, oftentimes those mining and extraction and refinery and distribution of fossil fuels have been located in communities of color and poor communities, because those are the communities that have been least able to prevent those uses from being located in their community. And so they provide a lot of jobs to the black community and others as well. And so as we transition out of that, we've got to take care of those people, too. And the communities in which those jobs are located. So we need to have what's called a just transition, where we're not simply just shutting down our reliance on greenhouse gas emitting industries, but we're also making sure that there are opportunities and even more than opportunities commitments to the people that are working in those jobs so they get new jobs in new industries. And we make investments in those communities, which are typically communities of color and low-income communities that have been the site for the refineries and site for the oil pipelines and the site for the mines because those are the communities that have been least able to defend themselves from those uses. So now their economies are intertwined with those uses, and if we're ending that stuff, we can't just walk away from those communities. We've got to make investments in them so they can transition as well. So that's going to be a part of the, the sort of ongoing issue that we're going to face over the next couple of years in this state and something that that I plan to spend a lot of effort and time on.
0: Well, we certainly thank you for your time. I don't know if you, you have to go. I was told you had to leave at 4.30. Uh,
1: I do, I'm afraid, but okay. you guys <laughs> have been great. Thank you. It's been like rapid fire questions. So they've been, really, <laughs> they've been really good. I appreciate you giving me as much time as you have. And, and I'm excited about the opportunity of continuing to work with you.
0: And we we welcome that opportunity as well. And I just want to say, for the record, when Black Youth Leadership Project would have our annual legislative open house, you were always one of the first ones um, to respond and to come and show up. So we really appreciate that. And that did not go unnoticed. Um, but we are dealing with some really um, strong issues within our community. And we're going to ask from you and your opponents um, more specificity. Um, because it's nice to talk about people of color or communities of color, but when the people who are our color um, seem to always be pushed to the side or folded in when we have specific issues um, and then to be wrapped into the general people of color box has not served us well. So the next conversation, we're probably gonna push you more about specificity um, and you can guarantee that if your opponent comes on here, they will be met with the same rapid fire and specificity that we are going to require from you. Um, Thank you so much for your time today, and uh, we will see you soon.
1: Thank you. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Take care now.
0: All right. Come back whenever you want.
1: (laughs) All right. Bye-bye now.
0: Bye-bye. So listen, y'all, it's been a long time since we've been together. A lot has happened. I mean, I think we've been in New York. We've been in Los Angeles. Um, y'all have had primes. Some of y'all went to two primes. Like, what is something during your time off that you kind of want to uh, highlight? Something that really was impactful for you during your time off from the podcast? Jada, I saw you, were you gonna unmute or should I go to Janice first? <laughs> go to
4: Janice first. Let me get my mind wrapped around Sure. hold on.
0: Miss Janice.
4: I think something that I want to highlight would be us visiting the Tupac Museum which where it was very insightful in what he spoke about and really how our systems are built and especially about how they're they're not built for us to succeed or excel but looking at us reach some of the highest of heights seeing how it is possible to beat the system but then looking at our education system and how it's just like we're not taught about real life things we're not taught how to pay taxes we're not taught about business we're taught about math then they do math 2 math
0: 3 math 4 so it was very insightful and it was it was a beautiful experience Miss Anaya, now that was your idea because you texted me about this this museum, uh, this Tupac exhibit. Uh, so tell me something that stuck out to you about the experience.
3: I think more so I went, well, obviously, of course, because of his music, but more so to hear about how his brain was wired and how he thought, and also to hear about his mother's um, activism in the Black Panther Party. So something that stuck out to me was just like what also what Jenny said, like how he thought that schools need to teach kids because it, it is helpful to learn about, you know, reading, writing, writing. math, arithmetic. <laughs> right. But we need to learn. We do need to learn. And he said we need to learn about drugs. And I agree. We need to learn about how drugs can help you and how drugs can harm you. What drugs are mm-hmm. good and what drugs can be bad then you could educate future generations in order to keep them safe. So I think that's a really big part that stuck out to me is like, at first, I know people will hear like, oh, they don't need to be teaching drugs in school, you know, Red Ribbon Week tries to keep kids away from drugs. But when, well, I feel like, especially my generation is if you try to keep something away from a kid, they're gonna want it even more. So if you Mm. teach them about it, maybe they're going to want it less and actually be informed about the subject.
0: So, and do you remember what other subjects he said they needed to teach in school? I'm just curious. Janice, Jada, what'd he say? <laughs> he, needed, he said we need to learn about drugs, we
4: need to learn about sex, we need to learn about business, we need to learn about money. Like we're not taught that stuff in school and it's important he, that we talk about did,
0: some, did he yeah.
4: say scams? Yeah, okay. he said scams too. Like, and we're not taught that. And that's why a lot of kids, they don't know much. And then when they get out in this world, they go crazy because their parents have kept them in a box their whole life. And it's just like, you need to be taught that. So then when you get money, you don't blow it and not have no money. Or when you're exposed to drugs and stuff like that, you don't know what to do with it. Or you just take it not knowing. And that leads to a whole domino effect of other things when it couldn't been prevented when it was taught.
0: Hmm. Jada, anything stuck out for, for you during the time off?
4: Yes. Yeah, so when we were in on the LA trip and we went to visit Treehouse Living and Butterfly, what was it called? Butterfly? Uh, oh my gosh. No. I'm Butterfly sure. Haven. 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 Butterfly Haven. Yes. Butterfly Haven. Um, What really stuck out to me about that was to see was to really just hear their background and hear where they come from because when you first glance they're like wow they must have like they're doing amazing things like you would never get to like understand where they came from and how they got to where they got and knowing the rough times that they've been through it kind of makes like the average person feel like well I can basically do anything like if you can get through that like I can get through this it was kind of like It was inspirational because even when they like were at their lowest, like they like saw no light ahead. They kept pushing and they're at where they're at. And it's just amazing because it's it's inspiring to see people come from at such a low point and reach their dreams, basically their aspirations their goals like to like that must be so like refreshing for them. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just inspired
0: me a lot because, you know. So for the people who may not know what you're talking about, can you tell them what you're talking about? I know you mentioned the names, but can you tell them what Butterfly Haven was? What is it? Butterfly
4: Haven, I believe she explained it as like, it was a living space for um, people who were in the foster system, people who have uh, mothers, specifically women, basically, who have kids and just need a place to like, uh, refuge basically, a place to live. And she had uh, listed, like, you know, she explained the rant, she explained the rules, she, she had this whole rundown, and, you know, hearing about it, it was, it was, it was really touching, like, That that hit really deep. And I gave her a big hug afterwards because I thought she was an amazing human, because even after everything she's been through and she had this dream for so long. And to see how her big brother came through with the with the link, with the oh, I know somebody who can use this, like to see family come together like that. Oh, that was so
0: beautiful. I loved it so much. (laughs) (laughs) Adia, what did you do during our time off?
5: I feel like I have a couple notable things. Um, Let's go. So earlier this, I think it was last week, last Monday, a week from today, um, me and my um, class, we went to the SF Museum. We saw two films um, and they were both about like the Black Panther Party. um, And like one was about the trial of Huey P. Newton. And the one was about Mm -hmm. like this um, sculpture they're making for him in Oakland. So it was just really dope um, to watch and stuff and learn more about Especially because, like, I knew about Huey P, but, like, not necessarily, like, the trial and stuff. So, I was, like, really interesting to get more, like, knowledge about. Um, I went to prom this Saturday, so that was a lot of fun. Janice did my nails, guys. So, you know, <laughs> Um and And um, I'm also running for my school's ASV president. So, if you go to Intercom, your kid goes to Intercom, you know, make sure they vote for me this Wednesday through Friday. Link will be in the classroom mind.
0: Wow. Okay. Look at you. Okay. Uh, Jalen. Um, you're new to the team, so um, tell us something good.
6: Uh, what's good is I, I just started. Uh, last you Monday. You
0: just started. Started with started
6: what? <laughs> with 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 the company the BYOP. I am a mentor and advocate for. Uh, and I got to see some, and I'm getting introduced to some some pretty pretty cool stuff you know i've only been here for a week and i've already like had to uh have meetings with staff and uh, like that was an eye opening like being
0: when you say staff you mean you went to a school meeting with me yes i went to a school meeting
6: okay. with with <laughs> Mr. and we had to uh we had to we had to sort some things out with some with some staff members at the school that weren't doing right by the black community so we had to go. And it was very it was very eye-opening because you've always been, like, as a kid, you've always, like, seen those – like, you've always heard of people having to have those type of meetings, but you've never really been inside of one unless you had to have been inside of one. Hopefully not. But um, being inside one as the, the questionnaire, like, asking the questions that needs the answers is a very, very different experience than, you know, just sitting in there listening and they're talking about you so Mm. it was it was very eye-opening and 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 just to see how like how people are very ignorant to 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 the black community you know Mm. like and and like I was just having this conversation earlier today with one of my friends like I don't think people are I don't think people are racist I think they're very very ignorant because they can do racist things and not be racist but they are very very ignorant to how it uh how it feels to be black and have that uh those things happen to them so that's Mm. what i've been that's what i've learned this past week is, is that
0: well you're very nice in your assessment because i don't think it's ignorance i think it's on purpose and i think that they do it because they've gotten away with it up to this point um and i think that the best thing about being here and being in this environment and you guys having this podcast is that in real time, you get to talk about things that are going on around you, you get to be exposed to it, you get to hear, have your um, your opinion about it and not be silenced. And I think that a lot of what's been going on on our school campuses is you've been told to shut up and dribble, for lack of a better word. Most of our athletic boys shut up and dribble, the girls shut up and cheer. You know, it's like you are trying, they are conditioning you to not have an opinion and. Here, it's just the opposite. We want to hear your opinions. And speaking of that, it is going to be a real hard transition. So I have this story that I want you to uh, just put some eyes on. Um, Mr. Tevin, if you can play that clip for me, I'd be really appreciative. First on Fox, a Webster Groves Elementary School student had to get his finger amputated after an incident at
1: school. Fox Two Zara Barker is live tonight outside Bristol Elementary School where this incident happened, and she has the family's warning to others. Zara.
2: Mandy Vick, the family tells me that just a simple fall at school will now change their nine-year-old's life forever. A normal school pickup for Papa Larry Pierce turned into a seven-hour trip to urgent care, two hospitals, and a lot of questions. Pierce says the school called and asked if he could pick up his grandson, DJ, at the front of Bristol Elementary instead of around the corner like usual. That's when DJ came out with his fingers wrapped.
6: Nurse says, okay, he
0: cut his hand. Didn't say how bad it was. She says, take him straight to urgent care.
2: So he drove straight to urgent care.
0: They unwrap it. And immediately they said, oh, no, we can't treat this. His finger is gone.
2: Then they drove to Missouri Baptist emergency room for x-rays where DJ's mom, a nurse herself, met them.
6: nurse went out the door, mommy came in, and I panicked.
2: Later, they were transferred by ambulance to Children's Hospital for a pediatric surgeon who had to amputate DJ's middle finger.
6: That is something that he would have to live with as a 9-year-old the rest of his life.
2: The family has so many questions.
0: How can you send a child home with his finger cut off and just pass it on off without calling 911
1: at the school?
2: And how did this happen at school? I slipped on my backpack
4: and then that computer card thingy was open. And then I used like these three fingers to you know try to pull myself but my my middle finger was on the edge of it, and then it cut, and then it felt kind of weird, and then I looked at it, and then blood
2: everywhere. DJ's mom, Talisa, says she texted the school nurse to see if they found his finger so they could try and save it for surgery. She sent a picture with part of the finger still attached to the door jam, but it's too graphic to show.
6: As sharp to take a finger off? I don't see why that is even in a classroom, or if it is in a classroom, that needs to be closed at all times.
2: Now, DJ Williams is facing a challenge most nine-year-olds don't have to go through.
4: I just got to think about basketball. If I think about it enough, then I won't give
2: up. The Webster Grove School District released a statement to me tonight saying they were aware of this incident but couldn't comment on this any further. Now, the family tells me DJ has an appointment on Friday with a surgeon who will then have to decide if they need to amputate DJ's entire right hand. Live from Webster Grove, Zara Barker, Fox 2 News.
0: Okay. Um... What were they supposed to do? What do you think, Adia? Yes, oh Lord. So, you're talking about their ignorance. What would they have done if that were a white child?
4: Oh my gosh, 911, help, help. He's dying, he's dying, he's broken, his finger's broken. 911, oh my gosh, call his mom, call his dad. We need somebody here as soon as possible. But it's a little black child oh my gosh just pick your son up in front of the school um grandfather um no he just fell a little bit No, um, take him to urgent care
3: um i think oh. they probably would have sent that white towel up with the rest of their finger instead of leaving it on the cart for hours later for the mother to have to ask where's my kid's finger at They would have put that in a bag kept it on ice so you know they could sew it back on they would have just so much care would have been taken and i'm wondering why did the school not call 911 to get the medical attention that he obviously needed
0: i'm just uh, i'm just at a loss right now um uh, i didn't watch that story I, I know i sent it because i saw it come across i didn't watch the details of it um jada <laughs> jeez
4: if for a white kid, an ambulance truck would have been out front taking him to the hospital. Like, I've seen kids at Monterey Trail pass out and get into an ambulance truck for less. His finger is missing. You're just like, oh, yeah, you know, he just cut his finger. Huh? Yeah, just take him, you know, straight away to urgent care. Not mentioning that his whole finger is gone. Like,
0: that. that is actually it, ridiculous. It was hanging on the door jam. Jalen, what say you?
6: My fingers are tangling like that. Ugh. I Yeah, that's, like, yeah, but, like, how she said, like, how something that, like, that can cut off somebody's finger is not, like, up, like, posted up, like, put up somewhere is, like, how is that not, and how is that out and available? I, I don't even
0: understand. I don't even understand what they're communicating. None of that makes sense to me. He's pulling himself up like I need, I need pins. Yeah, like, I don't saying. understand. Like, I
6: didn't, I, I, I heard a computer cart or something and he's pulled, he fell on his backpack, pulled it up. And I was, because we've had some computer carts and I don't know anything on the computer cart that could cut a finger off. And how you? how did you go up with your whole hand? and only the middle finger off pulling yourself up. See, I'm... It makes this me
0: think because too, that's the, the tallest issue. one. It's the tallest finger, right? Like, I don't... Didi, this... anybody?
5: <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. Like, I watched that, and I was, like, I'm just at a loss for words. And, like, I also think, um, to call out Melissa in the comments, like, she made a good yeah. point about, like, how Black people, like, have historically, like, been framed as that they can handle pain or that they are stronger and stuff like that's so there you know i feel like the people at the school were completely desensitized and are just like oh you know he'll deal with it you know what i mean just go with your grandpa or whatever and i just i don't understand like where is the lawsuit like what like
0: that's why they're not making no comments
5: that's coming like
0: it. can't the can't the parents sue you send your child to school and he
4: comes back without his finger can't you sue the school for that
6: They're getting sued for Um, shows, And I don't think,
4: I didn't hear any, I didn't hear anything about how they called the paramedics or nothing. They called the parents. Like, thank you for calling the parents first. Wow, finally. But
0: you... Well, they sent him home with his fingers wrapped up. So my thing is, what were they trying to hide? Or, like, why they didn't tell them the severity? It just, something's not making sense. And when it doesn't make sense, something's not true. I watch enough Judge Judy to know that. If it makes sense, it's not true something else happened like i don't i don't and I don't know if another child was involved I don't know you know, and I heard him say he slipped on a backpack um I don't know about those details that's kind of like you know when the kids come and they say they fell down the stairs um I'm just side eyeing the whole thing because none of it makes sense, but yet we have a nine year old now missing his middle finger and adults who didn't even have enough compassion or concern to stop they were doing and get him the immediate attention that he needed. Like the fact that you left this finger hanging from a door jam or whatever they said and there's other students there, you didn't put it on ice. Like I'm I'm just, I don't, I don't, I don't understand the thought process um, and absolutely I would be raising all kind of hell Um, but we know that when our parents go to schools and they raise hell, they are kind of most likely met with restraining orders. So how do we expect our parents who find out stuff after the fact to respond when their children were mishandled so carelessly? That's where we need to get to, um, because there's nothing that would make me come from zero to 100 faster than you doing something and not protecting my child. That is, absolutely the basis of neglect they should be brought up on charges cps should be called and they should face charges of failure to protect that's what Um, i
3: think
4: and my main issue is i've seen like someone in my class like fall and as soon as somebody fell like the teacher ran to her and we're in high school so if you're seeing a child a younger child fall wouldn't you stop whatever you're doing to go and assist the child and see if they're okay? You don't know if he could have fell and hit his head. You don't know if he could have fell and knocked something down, especially if his whole body dropped to the point where he needed to put his hand up to lift himself up. That obviously made a thud. It made some type of noise. So for you as a teacher or whoever supervising to not run over and try and assist him or see if he needs help or anything, what are you doing that has you so busy that you can't check on a child? Like I believe in saving going to save the one instead of and leaving the 100 so what are you doing that is distracting you as a teacher as when you signed your quota and you did your training and you got your teaching credentials to serve and protect every child in your classroom what are you doing that has you so distracted that you're not helping and protecting the children that you were you get paid to serve and protect it doesn't make sense there's a missing piece to the puzzle I don't know where the piece went but I know the school got it because it don't make Mm. sense
0: And Mama Margie made a really good point. Who gives medical treatment without calling for medical care? <laughs> like, that, that's a, uh, yeah. What's and, weird to me, And I, go ahead, Jalen.
6: It sounds like, like, it just sounds like the, there's always, there's always been this meme with, uh, with, with, uh, with school nurses, like anything, just go put some ice on it. But this seems a little bit too extreme to just go in and put some ice on. And why was it so nonchalant, my thing? That's my whole thing. Like, why are we acting so nonchalant when, first of all, somebody's finger's hanging in the classroom? Every Everybody should be traumatized by it. Everybody should see the finger. The kid is traumatized. He can potentially lose his whole hand now off of just cutting his finger. So, like is it's 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 not it's not cool it's not cool
4: i feel like there's more to this story i feel like you know the way he's telling the story like it doesn't make sense to where i feel like something was allowed to happen to him and out of fear or something out of trauma basically he's not saying the whole story or he's not telling the truth because like melissa had said a, a kid who cut their finger off would be out like crying so why when they pick him up he was just wrapped and already wrapped and no tears were involved which means that this was something that had happened maybe a few minutes maybe a few hours ago that they have just let go on for a little bit then decided to call the parents when everything started to calm down this this story is a little too fishy it doesn't make sense the math isn't mapping it
0: doesn't make sense and just, I want to read this part for y'all again. It says, DJ's finger is literally hanging on the file cabinet, the attorney continued. This, so this is not something where it was just a scratch or a little bit of skin that was taken off. There's a significant part of his finger that everyone knew had been removed from his hand. Wait, come the on, the file cabinet or the Chromebook the- card? Girl, this says hanging on the file cabinet and then the next, the next sentence says, the family says a piece of the boy's finger was missing and the mother had to text the school to see if they could find it so she could share it with the specialist to see if they could possibly salvage the finger during surgery. The mother claims the school nurse sent a photo of the missing portion of DJ's finger still attached to the metal cart but could not be used for the boy's initial surgery so there's two different stories right there all the the only thing consistent is that his finger is hanging off of something and part of me is thinking the middle finger i mean did he use that towards somebody and they were trying to teach him a lesson i don't know my mind goes all kind of places what were you about to say janine
4: I feel like, and this goes to show the importance of parents, especially Black parents, being so adamant and about their children, especially in the school system, these public schools, these private schools, where you're sending your kid away for a certain amount of hours each day, making sure you have that open communication, not always listening to the teachers, but speaking with your children, making sure you don't dismiss your child. I know it is, may be a long day of work, but asking your kid, how did your day go? What did you learn today? Did you have any bad interactions at school? Because if you let these school districts and these schools and these teachers handle it, then we have situations like this. And it happens frequently, but sometimes it only gets out a lot. So I feel like it's very important that parents build that connection and build that relationship with their children and make sure that they are adamant and they are on it, especially with these teachers, because as you see, they don't care about us. They don't care about us at all. And especially with local schools, EGSD, number one in disproportionate disciplinary rates toward Black children, they're not here for us. So it's important that if we can't advocate for ourselves, making sure that our parents are there. And if they're not, we have programs like BYLP to where you can come and submit your complaints and we can get things sorted out in whatever way that we can.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I just, you know, I, I wish that people saw black children as capable of pain, as worthy of their attention and their concern. and that they would focus on them the way that they focus on their own kids. Um, because there, there's too many incidents like this that keep happening. And we keep trying to find justifications as to why they're happening instead of stopping them and putting things in place that holds people accountable when these things happen. Who's gonna be held accountable for his missing finger? Who should be responsible? That's not a trick question. I'm asking y'all: who who should be responsible?
3: The teacher who was the in the school. classroom when it happened, and then going on to the school, and whoever took took care of him after he was sent up to the, the office. The nurse. Assume,
0: what what yeah. was her responsibility and her role in this? To
3: call the paramedics. Which she don't, felt, don't they have the they emergency
0: card? Do. They got an, a whole emergency card. Was this not an emergency? Should she still have a damn job? Nope. Those are the questions that I have because the a nurse lot should of times we of a give people. Yeah, go ahead girl.
4: The nurse should be out of a job. The teacher should be out of the job and whoever is running this school should be under whatever they policy they put under probation to see whether they need to keep their job because this is completely unacceptable and there is no way that this should be okay. And if it was a white child or if it was a child of any other race, everybody would be on it and it would be broadcasted everywhere and it would be an issue everywhere. But because it's a black child, it is handled so lightly when it is a very major issue and it's not okay.
0: Do you think they sent a note out to the other parents about an incident of a child losing a limb on their campus? Definitely not. Definitely not. Should they have? And
3: I, yeah, and I think they probably told the other kids who witnessed it. Oh, don't don't say anything. Don't think about this. He just cut his finger. He's fine. Don't look at the cart or the cabinet where the where the missing finger is hanging. Don't look at that. Stay stay away from it. Stay away from it. I assume that that's what they told. Those are the fourth graders, which I'm assuming he's nine, fourth grade.
4: And if Mm -hmm. we're being honest, fourth graders and children, they must have hit the cabinet or pushed it somewhere else. Because if you're telling children not to do something or not to touch it after they've seen something and they witnessed something so crazy and traumatic, they're going to go and they're going to try and see and they're going to try and look. So they must have pushed it off in order for the teacher to be able to send the mother a picture since we're putting pieces together. They must have put it somewhere to where it was untouched and it was the same way it was when the boy cut his finger. It's not adding that
0: you're right you're right we'll continue to look at it uh next week though (laughs) because we have run out of time today i want to thank y'all for your incredible questions and your engagement uh we will be back next monday uh 4 p.m pst uh we're going to be talking with another candidate who's running for i want to say board of supervisors you guys met him last saturday two saturdays ago mr duke cooney will be here with us and I hope that you have your you will have your questions ready uh, because it's on and popping. So thank y'all. We're going to hit y'all with the wave. We'll catch y'all next week uh, for PST. Take care.